everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Luck, along with my co-worker Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers for The Athletic, and Jordan is actually sitting at Richmond Raceway right now, and that's a good thing because we're here to talk about the Richmond race. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Jeff. Yourself? What is new and exciting in your world? Well, I'll tell you what, I was sitting there for a lot of this race going, oh my gosh, this race, this is, oh, geez, what are we going to talk about on the teardown? This is going to be a short podcast. I don't really know. And then, uh, it, it all sort of came together with the strategy there. It, it uh, you know, if, if, if you're a fan of that kind of racing, it salvaged it. I, I saw, I, I've, I've mentioned several times on the podcast, so I always forget what, uh, I, I always think of people's tweets and then I forget to cite the person who said it. So I actually, uh, save this person's tweet today. Cause I thought this is, I'm going to read this on the podcast. Um, someone said someone named Grant Salzano said, uh, that this was a fine wine of a race. It aged beautifully. Mm. And wow, I, I thought that good. was uh that was an appropriate way to put it because for much of this race, you're thinking this wine is not very good at all. <laughs> I've had like better wine. Yeah, exactly. I've had better wine at Walmart. Um, but it, it ended up, uh, you know, you're like, Oh, that's, that's yeah, that's good. Good, good little strategy race there. Again, you don't see too many of those these days. No. And you make a good point. And I mean, for a good chunk of this race, I was like sitting there, we root for storylines, right? That's what we always talk about. And I was like sitting there like, Oh man, Ryan Blaney and Ross Chastain going at it. This is, this is what we need, right? This is good. This will give us something. And that kind of fizzled out. And you're right. This was a very different race than what we're used to seeing and how it played out. I, I thought the end was interesting. It's re- if you're into that kind of thing, our colleague Dustin Long from NBC Sports made a, I thought a really apt analogy. This was like an IndyCar street road course race, you know, with the strategy and everything on play. And I thought it was different. And I thought it was neat. Not every race is going to be like you saw at Coda, um, but I thought the last. 50 laps or so and just how it all unfolded and every the, the different ideas that were you know being implemented that was entertaining um but the other part of that though was not and it's just a bit of a you know it's it's tough because it seems like we have this conversation about richmond on a regular basis but the the last part of this race certainly did pay off well and, and here's the problem right if if this was any other oval except for the short tracks, right? So if this was like Kansas or whatever, or Pocono or something, Michigan, and you're talking about, wow, that was really interesting strategy, the way it played out. And there was different Mm -hmm. guys and that guy had to come from way back and drive through the field and make the last, you know, the pass at the end. And you'd be- There was tire wear. Yes, yes. You'd be really like hyped up and pumped up about that. Or at least I would be, right? Like this is all, this checks all the boxes of the kind Mm -hmm. of racing we want at these kind of tracks. But the fact that it was a short track and, you know, obviously we, you know, we've, we've talked, we've beaten Richmond to death sort of like on its, its lack of the action track racing. Um, but you know, you, I look, I, I want to see more of the short track type racing at Richmond than the, wow, this was the last 136 laps were green and it came down to strategy kind of thing. I mean, again, like, that was that's fine. It saved the race essentially, right? It's because it, otherwise, I don't. Re- I really don't know what what you would have um, been too excited about with this race. But um, so that's a good thing. But is that what you want out of your NASCAR short track racing, especially when there's so few short tracks on the schedule? It's kind of like uh, that. That's just my my initial no. take. 
You're, you're not wrong. I mean, when you, when you compare Richmond under the broad moniker of whether it's a sh- of a short track and the, the, the debate is, is, yes, Richmond is technically a short track, but it races like an intermediate track. When you compare Richmond to what you see regularly at Martinsville and Bristol, that's a really, really high bar. Like very few tracks are going to be able to, you know, get that expectation. And because it's compared to those tracks, it's, it's going to have a hard time. And again, that's what we saw again, play out today. It's, you know, this was a typical Richmond race in a lot of respects. It's, it's, it's the unfortunate reality, but it was a typical Richmond race, but the cherry that we got at the end was nice. And that this was a different, the, the finish was a little bit different than that. And I will say this, unlike previous Richmond races, there was some good tire wear today. Like we did see that and like tire wear and conserving tires mattered that factored into it. Um, it's just, you kind of like to see something done to kind of oomph up the action, you know, those first 300 laps. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely like got me sitting up and paying attention, uh, the last 50 laps or so as the strategy started to play out. Um, I, I will completely admit to not being, um, to not understanding exactly what was happening with the strategies. Um, and I, I think that, you know, despite having Chad Canals in in the booth, um, I, and I need to go back maybe and even listen to it. I'm not sure they knew either, but it kind of made me feel better when, um, James small, Martin Truex juniors crew chief, he, he didn't know what was going on either necessarily because he was saying, you know, like about Truex, the Truex and Byron battle, which is what we thought it was for the longest time. You know, he said, I don't know why Byron hasn't pitted yet. You know, everybody thought, okay, but the way that Byron is setting up, you know, he, he had last pitted on lap three eleven, and surely everybody thought, well, he's not trying to go to the end with that. Um, and, and he did Truex had, uh, 13 lap fresher tires than Byron. Um, and so, you know, and Truex was trying to hang on himself. So they, they were thinking, I'm sure Byron's not going to go to the end. And then they ended up being on the same strategy, but of course that wasn't the winning strategy because it, and it kind of got, I, I, I believe that it got set off by Kyle Busch's penalty when Kyle Busch pitted, um, for the, the illegal tape on his, on his grill, um, Which is on, have you ever heard of that? I mean, I, that's a new thing. No, that, that was, was new. Just, and I'm pretty sure that was the first time that's, that's been called. I'm, yes. I'm almost positive. Cause I, I, I don't think I've heard that. Um, but as a side effect to that, that started bringing some other cars down who were going to do that late sort of strategy. Um, so Kyle Busch ends up pitting for his penalty on lap 351. Uh, and then, yeah, so Harvick came on lap 353, two laps later. So that brought him in. And then Hamlin was the last one of those cars, lap 354, one lap later than Harvick. So it's, it's kind of odd because you'd think, well, Hamlin may have come like a little bit earlier than Harvick, but no, it was one lap later than Harvick. Obviously, Hamlin and Harvick were the last two uh, in contention at the end there. Uh, you can argue lap traffic maybe played a role, but I, I don't fault those cars too much because... Um, you know, at some of those are trying to get their lap back from the former leaders. Some of them are trying to stay on the lead lap. There was a lot of traffic, a lot of slow, uh, you know, wide variation of speeds at that point. So personally, I'm not getting upset about that, but, um, you know, Hamlin ultimately had to come from way back. I mean, he had to come from probably 20 seconds back or something. I I don't know how far or what his position was exactly, um, after he had made that pit stop, but he had to drive all the way through the field. And, but you could see him coming. I mean, the lap times were falling off in chunks, the, the deficit to the leaders and, uh, he and Harvick eventually made it through and, um, yeah, just with five laps to go there. And that, that was it. Yeah. It's, 
really nuanced and complicated. I'm still trying to sort through it too. It sounds like from what I understand though, that the quick cautions that we had, you had the one for um, Cody Ware, Eric Jones and Ty, uh, who was it? It as Cole Custer, Ty Dillon and Austin Sindrick getting together. And then I think get a caution for Cody Ware in there as well. Yeah. The Cody, the Cody rare, Cody Ware one with uh, Eric Jones was the first yes. one. And then at that point, um, Chris Gabehart had said, okay, let's try to, um, you know, let's, let's, they had had an extra set of tires to use yes. if they, if there was going to be a caution, but they didn't want to use it at the point where they had to use it because Hamlin was driving up through the field on his newer tires. And, you know, so they said, okay, well, uh, let's, let's just go ahead and use it here anyway. And that turned out to be the winning move, even though they didn't want to have to use it that early, um, after that next caution came out, but it, it you know, it, it worked to their benefit ultimately, I think. And the cautions kind of propelled Martin Truex's team to flip their strategy where they went from, they were, they were splitting, they were doing, they weren't split. They were doing two stops within a stage, correct? Yes. They were going to try the it, same yeah. strategy that helped them yep. in stage two. Yep. And they were going to do two stops. And then when they got the cautions, they flipped and then they went to a one stop strategy. And that was, that was probably the sequence there where that race flipped and it went from, Martin Truex Jr. is in control of this race and is likely going to win to all of a sudden Danny Hamlin has got his fresher tires and is passing people. And now they're basically sitting duck, which is what happened. Right. Because there was, there was those, those two cautions came out in the first 17 laps of stage three. Mm-hmm. And then there was never any cautions again. So that really, yeah, you're right. That, I mean, I think, I think there was some maybe instinct that like, okay, now this is going to be the breakout of cautions, the cautions, precautions type thing that didn't happen. Um, you know, a lot of those guys gambled in stage two. It felt like hoping there was going to be cautions Mm -hmm. and stage two was completely caution free. So you just, you know, it's hard to tell. It was like, you got a little glimpse of, Oh, maybe this isn't typical Richmond. Um, for a second there, it was a tease. There. Yeah. Was a tease. And then it, it kind of with the Chastain and Blaney stuff. You're like, Oh right. yeah. yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's, but it was, it's a different trade. It's interesting to watch how they play off. And in real time, it's, you know, James Small is trying to calculate this. Chris Gabart is trying to calculate this. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, damn, like we got two quick cautions. How do we punt here? And it's, and Chris Gabart said it afterwards. It's, it's such a split second decisions you have to make and, and when to do it. And this is a, this is a race where crew chiefs earn their money. It really is. And it, this was a total team effort across the board for the 11 team. Hamlin drove a great race. They were off at the beginning. They got the car better. He did a great job working through traffic. Um, wasn't panic driving. Wasn't anything, you know, making silly moves, that kind of thing. Chris called a, a brilliant, brilliant race. This is a, this was, if you want to give someone a credit for the win, give it to Chris. And then let's be honest, the pit stops too were fantastic. I mean, for Joe Gibbs racing, this was much talked about really for you know weeks and weeks now, ever since they put out that video, these choreographed pit stops and how these were going to play off. And I had talked to a couple of people um, beforehand in the race or in the garage, and they were like, eh, yeah, this might be a one-and-done thing. Like They might try this in the race and realize that this isn't going to really do anything. Um, yeah, that, that didn't happen, Jeff. <laughs> well, I so, okay, I'm going to pump the brakes on that one a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, I'm, not, I'm not totally convinced on that yet. Uh, I don't want to reveal their identity in case they didn't mean to have this as public information, but I, I was, I was texting with someone during the race and they, after Joe Gibbs racing had put out that Kyle Bush's team did the fastest 
four tire pit yep. stop in NASCAR history, nine point four, you know, nine whatever. And they said, you know, that's not at all what um, Racing Insights, uh, who does a lot of the stats, shows. Oh, um, in fact, theirs was like a couple seconds slower or something like that. So I, I don't know. It, it sounds like maybe like the team and Racing Insights or TV, they have different numbers in terms of like when do you start when you start the switch yeah when you hit the button yeah for like timing the stop so i don't know if we have all the information yet i think we'll have the information because the teams are going to look at it and sort through it obviously and if you see all the rest of the team start doing this uh you know on pit road suddenly then you say okay well i guess that's the way to do it if it quietly goes away or if gibbs continues to be the only ones doing it then i don't know that that choreography is going to be long lasting, but I, I guess I'm just not totally convinced yet. Despite, sure. you know, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that Joe Gibbs racing's claim is wrong, but others that hasn't been verified, I guess. Yeah. From I mean, what Chris I can tell, seemed, so. Yeah. No, and that's fair. And Chris Gabart was uh, very in favor of the strategy and he, he was a proponent of it afterwards and said it worked. And, but it's also a strategy that has a lot of risk and it can, it, you have to be, there has to be a certain set of circumstances on the right track. You've got to be able to, you have to change all four tires. You want to make sure that you, you prefer to have somebody not in front of you when you do this because of air hoses and getting out of your pit stall. Um, it, it's as someone explained to me, it's very high risk, high reward. Like that, yes, this could work and it could work very well, but also it opens up the box of you very well could screw yourself and, and get a penalty of this. You, you stumble over yourself really just as easy. So it's not a slam dunk moving. It's not something maybe you want to do every single time. Jordan, we touched on that this was a strategy race and that we're obviously pro strategy race. And I don't want that to get twisted, but we would prefer it at an intermediate track and we would prefer to see more of a short track style race at Richmond. Um, so what do you do now about Richmond? Because we had talked about, okay, maybe the new car is going to race differently there. Maybe, you know, we've talked about, oh, it's hard to drive and are they going to be spinning out? And, you know, like we saw in those early races this season, maybe it's going to make it the action track again. It, it didn't really. So, you know, what do you do now? You know, that, that sealer everybody talks about, I don't know if that's ever coming back on the, ta- you know, as, as an option, you know, they didn't put any resin down this time, uh, which was odd. What do you, what do you know about this? What do you think they should do? Talk, uh, talking to some people that would, uh, that know about this, is that sealer is not it's something that nascar doesn't do to promote and improve racing um you know they've done it once in the past but that was kind of to help the track longevity wise not to help the competition side of things um going into this weekend the idea was let's not do anything to track let's see how this new car races is this new car going to be a a game changer like we've talked about on this podcast like we saw at fontana like we saw at las vegas where it was good racing and if the new car comes here and there's tire wear, like we talked about, maybe you don't need to do anything. Maybe this, we talked about last week, you know, and that this is going to change everything. Well, that didn't work. Now that the question is, what do you do next? My understanding is I, I resin is being explored a, as a possible option. I wouldn't be shocked if you see that applied here in August, because the next, the next gen car didn't really change the quality of racing here. Um, and there's, there's something that has to be done. This track has to be treated in some form. Resin makes the most sense. And again, I wouldn't be shocked if you see resin here in in August when NASCAR comes back. Okay. I am not, I don't have a problem with that approach except that they just went completely opposite of that at Phoenix. 
I, I thought they were going to start the year and say, hey, let's let's go all through these tracks one time, and before we need decide whether whether we, whether we need to treat that the tracks with resin, um, you know, which is now the the way to go instead of PJ one. It sounds like uh, for for everywhere, or at least most everywhere. But yet at Phoenix, they put it on the track without seeing how it would race first. So now they come to Richmond and they're saying, or at least the people you talk to are saying, well, you know, we, we did, we want to see how it goes first. Well, I, I just don't understand the differing strategies yeah. there. And I, and I don't have an answer to that question. What I would say though, is like, to me, it makes sense of like, we learned our lesson at Phoenix and maybe we were over, we, maybe we, sh- we you know, we shouldn't have done that at Phoenix and we learned a lesson there and that, you know, the Phoenix race wasn't very good. And you know, what would that race been like if we hadn't applied the resin, maybe it would have been better. Maybe that's the mindset coming into here. Well, speaking of Phoenix, um, that really led me down a, the really incorrect road, uh, in terms of like <laughs> predictions and things like that, because, you know, we had said this is going to be sort of a, like a bellwether type race for Joe Gibbs racing. Cause this is a JGR dominant track. And if they come to Richmond and they don't do well, big problems. Maybe it's, you know, bigger problems than we even thought. Toyota hadn't won since last October. All these storylines that play into it. And the, I, I wasn't optimistic about Gibbs at all because of Phoenix. And, and you know, everybody's using the comparison as Phoenix is the closest track so far to Richmond. Um, obviously, they're different tracks. But of the tracks that have gone so far, Phoenix is the closest one. And JGR, that was their worst race of the year, collectively as a company. They were way off there. They haven't been so far off at other races, but at Phoenix, they were way far off. So I'm thinking, well, are they really going to be able to turn it around coming to Richmond? And even though they had said, okay, we're coming with a completely different approach, I'm like, "Eh, I don't know about that. Well, they had all four cars finish in the top 10. Kyle Busch could have finished even better than ninth had he not gotten his penalty, which is still a little bit weird, by the way. Um, I talked to his crew chief afterwards. We can talk about that if you'd like. Yeah, let's well let's let's go back. Let's let's uh go to the Kyle Bush thing in just a second. But just putting a bow on the JGR thing, um, you know, it I I guess what's jumped out at me is I'm not surprised ultimately that JGR is able to go to, to their best track and win and have a good day. What, but what jumps out to me about it is wow, this next gen car, you can really flip a switch pretty quickly if you figure out the setup because they didn't have to go build a bunch of new pieces and you know go back and engineer things uh, obviously everybody has the same stuff on a spec car but what they did do was completely change their approach they changed their setups from what they from what they felt didn't work at phoenix and the next thing you know they're running very well uh and and being competitive again on a similar type of track so that's only a few weeks apart now and and i think that's that's important because as we go on through the season we say well this team is off or this team is really hitting it on something you can go down the wrong road or you can go down the right road very quickly. And we're going to continue to see flip flopping. I, I believe, uh, quite often. So, uh, Gibbs, they, they needed this, I think organization wide, this proved that they are, um, you they're know, going to be okay. They're going to be fine. They're going to be <laughs> fine. Right. Exactly. Um, but you know, I, I think the new car is, is still going to have a lot of ups and downs for all, all throughout the garage, you know? I agree. And, and to, to carry your point, which is a really good point, you go back to Phoenix, the top three finishers, Chase Briscoe, Ross Chastain, Tyler Reddick, weren't really players at all today. Chastain ran in the top 10 for a good part of that race and looked competitive, but faded back to 19th at the end. 
Um, and Reddick and Briscoe were just, you know, they were there. And Briscoe had and, his same Phoenix car. Yeah, he had same his winning Phoenix car, car from Phoenix, and that's yeah, the so, result today. wasn't a comp- wasn't a factor. So, and it's the same point we've talked about where this new car through really through the early port. I don't say early part. I think for a good chunk of this season, you're going to see teams hit on something one week for a couple weeks, like we've seen with Trackhouse, and then other teams are going to come in and figure this out. And this is an evolution process. Teams are continuing to work on this car, figure it out. Um, Gabe Hart w- went into depth about this post race and how just like there, there's so much to learn every single week, so much to gather, so much data and, and notes that you're building and that you're, you're applying it. And because you don't have practice, you've got 15 minutes of practice, basically you're on track time is so limited. It's, it's, there's going to be this continued flux and that's what we're going to see. And that's what we ha- we have seen so far. So it's interesting to see how this goes. And it's going to be interesting to see if this is Joe Gibbs kind of asserting itself and carrying forward, or is this an anomaly, a one week thing of, Hey, this is Richmond. They're good here. Regardless, you could race, they could race shopping carts here. You slap a Toyota badge on it with Joe Gibbs racing. They're going to win. You know, let's see what they do next week at Martinsville. Let's see what they do the week after that at Bristol and you know, so forth and so forth. But, you know, try not to make rash judgments here, but they, and again, it goes back to what we said too. It's like, we all knew they were going to be fine at some point. Like Denny Hamlin was going to be fine. Martin Truex Jr. is going to be fine. Kyle Busch is going to be fine. And, and they showed it today. Why we, they have that confidence. Well, his Darlington comment, Gabe Hart's Darlington comment, I thought was really interesting. Um, he talked about, you know, they were so far off at Phoenix then they go to Darlington for a test and he learned things about Phoenix at Darlington about like where they were missing it. And then he took his lessons from Darlington and applied them to Richmond, which again in the past would be completely absurd, like beyond yeah. absurd. And he basically said, you know, you're, you're learning stuff every lap right now. And they, they can learn something from every single place they've been this year for every other track, except for Daytona. Obviously that's such a different animal, but Mm -hmm. other than that, I mean, they are constantly learning. You can, you can learn something from Vegas and apply it to your short track stuff. I mean, it's just so far different from what we've ever known before. Um, but that's, that's the case right now. So it's gonna, it's gonna be fascinating, you know? It is makes it hard to predict. makes it fun to watch though, because you don't know what's going to happen week to week. And it's been fun because we've had some new winners, but, and we, it's been a lot of talk about the younger drivers, the under, the under 30 crowd. And then we have a veteran team and a veteran crew chief today who kind of showed, used their, and not just them too, by the way, Kevin Harvick and his team, you know, like the veterans finished one, two today in a, in a race that played to their strengths. So, well, uh, we, we teased or for a moment there, the, the Kyle Busch tape thing, you, you talked to Ben Bayshore after the race. I did, what, yeah. what did he have to say? So, um, frustrated. Uh, I think he said a 9.5 out of a 10 on the frustration scale. And his frustration is yes, they acknowledge that they had it met. They, they, they messed up. They inadvertently put the brake duct tape on the grill. His frustration though, is the fact that it took roughly 200 laps for NASCAR to enforce the penalty. And that if you're going to, you know, yes, that's, that's a penalty, but that should have been enforced much sooner. And they made, I think, three pit stops since that the lap 25. They pitted on lap 125 is when it occurred. They made three pit stops after that. They could have adjusted it any time after that. NASCAR didn't tell them. NASCAR says that they wanted to be make sure, one, that it was correct, that they had there wasn't a piece of debris, it wasn't picked up, that they went back, they studied it, and that this was put on there deliberately or, you know, not deliberately, but this was put on there by the team 
and that this wasn't a you know this didn't get picked up that kind of thing and that be, that process it took the the length of the process was what it was because of the of them going back and researching this and everything so ben's point is like this is a penalty like if it's a penalty call it right away this you don't do it you know well after the fact so you're t- you're you're saying that he said this happened on lap 125 125 125 126 or something like that yeah okay so they got called for the penalty at around lap 350 so mm-hmm. that's 225 laps not even yes. 200 225 laps um and okay that's fine but you know I, i'm not disagreeing that a penalty should be called if that if that's incorrect but i think i think the issue is when you call it if 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 What's the statute of limitations? Well, not not that, but like when you call it late in a race like that, you can't recover. There's not no. enough time to recover. And he did drive up to ninth, but he would have finished top five without that penalty. You know, if if that penalty, if they had called the penalty, let's say, so before the halfway point of the race, sometime between lap 125 and lap 200, you have the entire second half of the race to overcome that. You know, yes, they made a mistake, but. And that's what Ben said too, is that this completely changed. If you had called it when you, in a normal time frame, if you will, it, we could have altered our strategy and done something to recover from this. I mean, I, I'm trying to rack my brain, but I don't think I've ever heard of all the years covering NASCAR. I don't think I've ever heard of an in-race penalty called that far after the fact. You know, you, I, you could have a penalty for something that happens during the race and they, you know, somebody gets DQ'd later or something like that. Maybe Scratches their arm. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, stuff that, yeah, I mean, stuff can be penalized after the race, but to have something that happened on a pit stop 200 something laps earlier, you know, whether it was a uncontrolled tire or something, then they say, okay, yeah, actually penalty for that. That's, I can understand their frustration because that's very unusual. Um, Plus the fact that, I mean, Gabe Hart said, and now you could also argue from NASCAR's standpoint, they probably should have just taken it off if they knew it was incorrect. Yeah. Why and, leave and it that's, on there? But and, that, and that's where they're culpable. Like you, if you knew this and, and Ben did say like, Hey, we knew this was on there. It's like, if you knew it's on there, like take two seconds, you know, take a split second to have one of your guys rip it off. So it, well, it's then they not on there. The fastest pit stop in NASCAR history. Uh, that's, <laughs> there's that too. I, I don't know. It, I, I have a hard time on this. I go back and forth. Like a penalty is a penalty. If it's a penalty, then I don't feel bad for him because you guys did this. I mean, yes, it was inadvertent, but it's a penalty. Sorry. But the time frame, though, it's just, it seems like it could have been a little bit expedited. Well, and Gabe Hart said, and I don't I don't know this, I'm taking his word for it because I'm obviously not technical in that manner, but he said that, that putting tape on, the, he said he was really confused when he heard that they had tape yeah. on the grill because you would not, with these cars, you do not want to put the tape there in on the grill. In that Everybody, area. yeah. So that, that wouldn't be a help he was saying, but in the past, it's obviously been help. They used to put it on the grill all the time. Um, I, I don't know what's different. I, I can't explain it. Cause I, again, I'm not a technical person, but, um, anyway, he said it didn't help, but they got penalized. Yeah. So, I mean, the night, I mean, the, I guess the, the glass is half full. Look at this is Kyle finished top 10. It, he didn't, he wasn't going to win this race. So it didn't like completely take away his top sheet. three though. Yeah, I mean, we finished top five, you know, but that's, you know, four spots for a couple handful of points. I mean, is that going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. But I think just going forward, it would be nice if that time frame is maybe a little bit more condensed. And that, like you said, calling a penalty with 50 laps to go is much more impactful, especially in a race with long green flag runs, is much more impactful than calling a race, you know, on lap 200. 
What'd you make of the uh, the Blaney Chastain thing? By the way, I didn't get your take <laughs> I love, on that. I was rooting for it. You kidding me? I was all. Yeah. I'm like, this is my story, baby. Um, I mean, it's it's short track racing. Uh, talked to Ryan afterwards about it. Uh, a couple of us did, and he just kind of shrugged it off, just like short track racing, you know, heat of the moment kind of thing. It didn't seem like anything. He, he didn't. He sure say was pissed in on the radio. Yeah, man. but that's you know, I mean guys get pissed and they say things and he was angry. And I think in the moment, I think it felt that probably Ross faded and they weren't running around each other anymore. And Blaney was trying to win the race. And yeah, I mean, he was frustrated, but this is Ross though. This is what Ross does. And now we got to re we got to recalculate this thing. Ross is now running with a lot of guys that he didn't consistently run with before. Like he, you know, he, last year he popped up and had some good runs here and there. Right. But now on a weekly basis, he's running in the top 10, starting you know starting up there running up there racing with guys that he didn't do it on a regular basis and they're kind of experiencing the ross chastain experience if you will that they weren't before ross is a very aggressive driver even though he's tried to curb it and, and try to pick his spots better he's still somebody that isn't gonna you know he, he likes to throw the bumper out there and that's who he is and now these guys are starting to get this now what he has to be careful of is at some point it's probably going to come back to him and and then the question is, is, you know, maybe you have to pick and choose your spots better. Well, I mean, look, uh, you know, last week, obviously he ran through a couple people to, to win the race. Everybody kind of applauded that or, you know, accepted it for the most part. Hey, he's going for his first win and stuff. Um, now this was not for the win, um, but pretty heavy contact to, to get Blaney back after Blaney had made some contact. Obviously Blaney didn't like that and then gets him back later. So yeah, I, I agree with you that this is how Ross races and uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see that in a larger stage because we're going to be seeing a lot more of it as he runs up front. seems like Trackhouse still isn't going where, anywhere, although they didn't have a, the best day today. You know, Ross still had a pretty good car for most of it. I don't know how he finished a lap down at yeah. 19th. There must have been something with strategy there or something. Uh, I, I kind of lost track of that. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's just funny to me because of course uh ty gibbs got like absolutely lit up for making pretty much the same move that that ross made on blaney um for 10th yeah. in the middle of the race ty gibbs did that to john hunter nemechek uh on the last lap to win the race and you would have thought that ty gibbs did a matt kenseth on on Joey Logano at Martinsville, <laughs> except that people actually applauded Matt Kenseth for that. So, yeah, uh, well, yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you about this after Atlanta. Um, cause I, I, you heard it at Atlanta. There was some booing and stuff and he won. What is it about Ty? Do you think that is so polarizing? Like it is, we're witnessing a driver and I don't, that is, is I think the phenom is the right word because he's coming in here and winning a lot and I know he's in great equipment, but look at what the other guys in those, those cars are doing. And he's blowing their doors off. What is it about him that is so polarizing that people are just not like latching onto him saying, man, this guy's awesome. He's the next big thing. Well, I can tell you because I, my Twitter replies absolutely <laughs> like lit me up all the way, uh, last after the Xfinity race, all the way into this morning, really before the race, um, people were very, uh, very disagreeing with my take that I'm that shocked was, that that happens. No one ever disagrees. with your take. Yeah, seriously. Uh, that was, this was, uh, whew, man, I, I, so I feel what, like it's have been happening a lot lately. Anyway. Um, I still love you, Jeff. Yeah. Well, 
you're one of the few, I think, judging from oh. Twitter lately. But anyway, no. um, so yeah, uh, people, I can tell you what people were saying. They were saying that uh, he's, you know, entitled, spoiled, all this stuff, and that he hasn't earned anything to be able to race this way. He's in the best car in the field, and yet he still runs through people. And if we're going to say that he's a phenom, which he is, he's won seven races, seven Xfinity races by the age of 19. Um, I, I think he's, he's doing pretty good, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're saying that if he's in the fastest car in the field and he's really a great driver, then why does he have to use contact and drive through people like that or, or use the bumper or, or whatever the case is? Um, however, I, I personally disagree. I think you look, look, he's going for the win and I don't agree with every move that Ty Gibbs makes. Certainly no. he's, um, made some mistakes, mm-hmm. but you know, like the Ryan Sieg type stuff, I, you know, yeah. and, and I, and I talked for the and win, though. Yeah. And, and I also say this, the Ryan Sieg thing was silly, but this is also a 19 year old kid. Like we, it's not like we, it's like we expect him to be like this polished, mature veteran. It, that's not the case. Like he's 19 years old in, in a junior developmental series, learning his craft. Like he's not going to be perfect. He is going to make mistakes. What you can ask from him though is not to keep making the same mistakes over and over again, like he did with Sieg. And it seems like he's kind of doing that, like not doing that. Like he'll make a mistake, learns from it, doesn't do it again. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Like he, his interviews at times, um, you know, post-race interviews and stuff can be a little, you know, where at times were a little emotional and he kind of would kind of go off the, say some things maybe didn't want to. He's kind of curbed that. He's worked on that and gotten better. So like, I, I just, it, feels like sometimes like people expect too much out of young drivers and it's unfair. I wish he wouldn't be made to like apologize and say, well, sure. I didn't mean to do that. I, I wish he would own it. Uh, he's going to be disliked either way because people are viewing him as sort of a combination of like an Austin Dillon and a Kyle Bush. Like they don't like the way he drives and they don't like that. He's entitled silver spoon type thing that, you know, the label they want to put, put out there. Um, and because of those two things, he's just, he's just not going to, it's, it's already too late for him to capture the hearts of the fan base, in my opinion. Like, people are just determined to dislike him. And everything he does, uh, people are going to try to find fault with, in my opinion. And he's just going to have to deal with that. So I think you might as well own it. The last thing you want is sort of like a, a hard-charging driver who feels that he has to apologize all the time. Look, chat, Ross Chastain wasn't apologizing for last week. You know what I mean? At, at Coda, like it worked well for Ross. Let's put it that way. I mean, I, it, I think I saw a clip from Harvick from the bullpen. I don't know if Bob Pockers, I think maybe posted it um, from this week where, you know, he said, that's what Ross needs to do. Like um, he needs to be, you know, people will, will root for him because of that hard charging type attitude. And I, I you know, obviously people are not going to root for Ty Gibbs because they don't like the backstory. They don't like, he doesn't have the same story. You know, he's not a watermelon farmer like Ross Chastain who had to earn his way up the ladder. They feel he didn't earn Ty Gibbs didn't earn it. So they're just not going to like him. And he's a spoiled brat, blah, blah, blah. But for the same reason that people would root for Ross, I, I think you need that polarizing figure, um, with Ty Gibbs. So I, I think Ty Gibbs should just own it and be like, look, I'm here to win races. Um, you know, th- these are hard to win and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Everybody else is out there doing whatever it takes. It seems like these days. So why should he be any different? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Well, I was actually having this conversation with somebody on pit road about drivers in general, like own the black hat, like embrace being the bad guy. It's okay to be the heel. You well, know, nobody really wants to do that though. And I can tell you, I mean, just from 
and, and again, this wasn't, is not that bad, but, um, you know, my, my two, uh, Twitter things this week where I felt like the majority of the replies were not on my side, it makes things miserable, right? Like number one, I had said that, um, Bristol dirt is not a short track race and which I've said on here, but it was, it went on Twitter and it just got like blasted serious. Oh my gosh. Danielle Trotta, Larry Mack. I was on serious on Thursday and they, that was the very first thing they brought up to me. I mean, they are just like, I, I got a tweet. Oh, they're ripping you on serious. So I, I tuned in. I'm, they must've been halfway through the, the ripping me thing. And, uh, they were still going. Um, but then you like the, the Twitter replies from that and stuff. You're, you're just like, Oh my gosh. And then like from the Ty Gibbs thing, trying to defend his actions yesterday and saying, Hey, I don't think this is that bad. You know, watch the replay again. I really don't think it's that bad. Like what he did, but I mean, you know, probably, I don't know, 80% of the people were like vehemently against me. So I guess my point is imagine if you're a driver who did something, you know, like a Kyle Bush or, uh, a Kyle Larson against chase Elliott fans or, or, something like that, or, you know, Bubba we, we saw what Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott this year. Right. Well, what I'm saying is imagine like the hate you must feel from, you must feel like the entire world's against you. Uh, and it, it, I don't see how that couldn't affect somebody like, especially like a 19 year old kid. So when, when you say, Hey, you know, they should, and, and I'm sitting here saying too, Oh, they should own it. They should be the black hat, but it's, it's hard to do that because you have to have extremely thick skin. Yeah. You have to truly care to not care what anybody else thinks of you. And we see time and again, these star drivers, they all care. Look at Denny Hamlin's tweets getting defensive with people oh, at times. You know, yeah. he cares what people say or think. He cares a lot about what people. I think he will, I, I don't think he'll ever admit it, but he can I think the boo, can I say it? I think the booing bothers him. I think it bothers Kyle Bush. I think it bothers Kyle, Kyle me, Bush. I, I, Kyle it does. Agree, but, Kyle, but Kyle, though, plays, like, Kyle plays into it, though, too. Like, he has I think Kyle Bush's, Kyle Bush's, you know, playing into it is just like, you know what? They're going to dislike me anyway. There's nothing I can do. So I'm just going to have a little fun with it. You know, putting my, you know, cup in my uh, hand in my ear or whatever, or bowing, like whatever. Like, I, I, I don't think he likes it. I think Kyle Busch would much prefer to be cheered, would much prefer to be most popular driver and have people love what he does. Um, I, I don't really think there's any driver who wants to be the bad guy. It's just, it's hard to do. Now, if you could get that driver, it'd be great. It'd be great for NASCAR. They need it. They they need that villain. They they've long needed that villain. You need that person who just kind of has that fu mindset, and I, it's unfortunate. You need because you need the, the sport is best when you've got heroes, good guys versus bad guys. And you go back. That was always NASCAR at its best. Was you've got the the villain, whether it was Earnhardt or Waltrip in in his day versus the king Richard Petty or Earnhardt versus everybody. It's like good versus bad. That's what sells. That's that that is what people are tuning in for in a lot of respects. Yeah, those guys didn't have to go read social media about how how terrible they were and all that stuff afterwards. So I I, I guess I mean I I don't know. I, I just don't I, I think don't know. to me, I mean I this is I I am somebody who ignores what people say. I think about it and i just as long as i feel like at my core that i did the right thing and i, and I justified and if i make an opinion and, and i believe in that opinion it's like man you know what I, i'm not gonna worry about what people say about me good bad or indifferent and i've been called a lot of names before and i've been threatened before and had death threats before and it's you know you just roll with it well speaking of denny hamlin um you know we, we were just talking about how uh 
you know, in, in the weeks leading up to this, oh, geez, you know, Denny Hamlin, no top 10 finishes. Like, is this a guy that actually has to worry about the playoffs? And we said, oh, we think he's going to be okay. But, you know, it was like kind of like, oh, he's kind of going to run out of time at some point to be okay. Well, in this format, in this NASCAR playoff system, <laughs> all it takes is one week to turn things around. All it is. Just like that. One top 10 finish on the year. That's all it means. It's a win. It's all it matters. It's all erased. It's all erased. He's all, he's fine. Everything's fine. He's in the playoffs again. No worries. 20th in points. Um, got plenty of time to get up there higher and get more playoff points. Seven races into the season. The whole Denny Hamlin drama is already resolved. He's in the playoffs. It's just crazy how fast the narrative can flip, you know? It changes real quick, and but I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like They had speed in the race cars, and, and even in all of the unpredictability that this year has been, except for Phoenix, they really haven't been outside of a race. Like They haven't, they haven't been in the mix. Like They were fast at Daytona. And they got caught up in a wreck. They were fast at Fontana. They got sidetracked because of the overheating issues. Um, Las Vegas, they were fast, um, and then they broke something at the end. Phoenix out to lunch. Um, so it's just, I mean, Atlanta, good race car in the mix, got into a crash. I mean, Coda in the mix, they just got sidetracked. It, as long as you, I, I firmly believe it, you keep bringing fast cars to the racetrack week after week, things are going to go your way. And that's what this team does. And there's no need to panic. And that's, that's what makes them so good is like, they just keep grinding week after week. And you can say what you want about Hamlin, good, bad, or indifferent, but he is a driver who can win at any given week at any given track. And he's with the team that is eventually Joe Gibbs racing is not going to go through the season, just being out in left field. Like they are going to hit on this. And they, we talked about it. Like they, this was their track. They made a statement today and whether that carries through or not for the next few weeks, we don't know, but for Denny Hamlet, it doesn't matter. He's in the playoffs. Well, uh, I don't know how that will affect the, was it a good race poll? Um, a, a Denny Hamlin win after a strategy race at a short track, maybe it salvaged it. Of course, the, the quote, real fans are going to say, Hey, you know, we like strategy stuff and you know, we don't care that, you know, it played out naturally. This is the kind of racing we like. And if, if you don't like this, you're not a real race fan. You know, I'm going to get, I've already seen this kind of stuff in my Twitter feed before I've even put Stop out the poll. looking at your mentions, please. For the love of God, I love you. Just I want your own well-being. Just, just ignore the mentions. I read probably, I mean, on a normal day, I read every single mention. Sometimes there's stuff oh, that blows up so bad that I, I can't keep up with it. But I, I always read the mentions. Don't it's you, not good for your mental health. People, don't you want to know what people are saying and you know talking no. about and and their opinions on things and why? I mean, how, how do you think I have a five-two lead in the was it a good race poll? Because I I already know the temperature essentially. Because I don't give a damn. That's why. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I won again last week, and but this is this is a tricky one. This is a tricky one. Whew, I, I really don't know. I mean, God, I've spent. Uh, I'm happy to go first if you want. I'll set the I'll set the bar. Oh, really? You'll do that? Yeah, I'll do it. Go for it. Eighty-one percent. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I just you did were? that for your. Yeah, I just did that for your reaction. Oh, I was pretty proud. <laughs> I'm of gonna go for, high though. For I am gonna reaction. go high. Okay. I am gonna go. 73%. Yeah, it's going to, it's got to be under that. It's got to be under that. I just think, I think there's going to be that crowd that's going to be very happy. There's the old school race played out naturally, that kind of thing. Not to the tune of 70%. God, your reaction was so good when I threw it at 80 out there. No, yeah, this is, I think most people are going to say it wasn't a good race. 
you'll definitely have people that appreciate the strategy, but, um, and I, you know, if I was going to vote, I would say it was a good race just in the sense that, um, you know, the strategy thing at the end made it a good race, but all I need for most of it, it wasn't. Um, and if you didn't have that crescendo at the end where everything all came together, you know, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know this. It would have been pretty bad. Um, anyway, I, yeah, I don't want to, uh, you know, do your own rule and, you know, cause you obviously you, you wouldn't price as right me cause you're so noble and gentlemen, you play the right gentlemen. way and everything. So I don't want to do that to you and, and do like a 72.9. Um, so I'll go ahead and say 72.8. I love you. Um, you're great. You know what? That's fine. No, that's you know fine. what? That's not, that's not, I'll that's give you fine. my real guess. I'll give you my real guess. My real Thanks. guess is going to be, you got I, a reaction out of me. Like I got a reaction out of you. Uh, I'll say 65%, 65%. Yeah. Yeah. 65%, 73 for you. Um, I, I feel pretty confident that it's going to be in the sixties or worse. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it'll be, it'll be definitely, definitely be above 50, but, yeah, I, I just don't see people loving this race. I can't remember what Phoenix got, but I'm pretty sure this is going to come in as the lowest race of the year so far, wouldn't you think? I no. I, uh, oh, really? I don't know. I I don't know because Phoenix was not good, but it had a really great finish. And and this one was was maybe the best either, but it had a, an interesting finish. I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on what you think. To me, this was probably better. I thought there was more passing. Um, it, like. Throughout the race, you had tire strategy, tire management. I don't know. This, this this to me was better than Phoenix. Okay. Well, Phoenix got a 70%. I just looked it up. Okay. So I think it's going to be the lowest race of the year below Phoenix. You think it's going to be a little bit above Phoenix and keep uh, keep Phoenix as the lowest so far. But, hey, you know, it's uh, overall still been a pretty good season when you consider it. We're talking about um, every single race has been above 70 so far. The majority have been well above that, way above that. So, uh, Coda got an eighty-four point nine percent last week. Another one in in the eighties. So, yeah, it's been uh, actually aside from uh, aside from Phoenix, everyone every single race so far has been eighty-four percent or higher. So, uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty strong start. Pretty strong start to the year. Oh no, sorry, sorry, Atlanta. I I, I didn't scroll far down enough. Atlanta's the lowest race of the year. I totally screwed this up. Atlanta has a 68.5. So I guess I'm saying it's going to be worse than Atlanta. Or you're saying it's going to be better than Atlanta. Yeah, I didn't think Atlanta. I'm trying to think. I don't remember what I said at Atlanta. I didn't think Atlanta was terrible. Well, Atlanta got such, I forgot that yeah. Atlanta got such a low rating because people didn't like the style of racing. Yeah. See, right. I, keep, I, I can't yeah. tell you what people, I, I have a really hard time figuring out what people like and don't like. And what I think is good is obviously different than what other people do, but. Yeah, but it's the beauty of this game, Jeff. You don't think this game has any beauty at all? You don't. Like I'm trying game. to be positive here, okay. and you know, don't don't dampen it. Don't dampen my spirits. Well, Martinsville uh, night race is coming up. It's going to be a very interesting weekend mm-hmm. uh, next weekend. It's going to be Saturday night, only 400 laps. But uh, yeah, we'll I'm see. Okay we'll see that. how that goes. Yeah, I, I'm definitely okay with it. Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, we haven't talked about yet when we'll do the teardown because oddly enough, a couple hours after the Martinsville race ends next Saturday night, 
the F1 race comes on in Australia. I oh. believe at uh, 1 a.m. Eastern time, uh, oh. Sunday morning. Um, so yeah, we won't be able to, I mean, if we, and then the Long Beach Grand Prix, of course, is next Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how, if we should just do a NASCAR only thing Saturday night, or if we should wait till F1 and do it in the morning or wait for all the races. But, uh, I feel like we wait. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. I feel like we wait. I mean, a lot, a lot can happen. It'd be fun to discuss. We do it sometime on Sunday after the Long Beach Grand Prix and we, and then it, it will be available in people's feeds when they're used to being, you know, on Sunday. Yeah, it'll night. still come out the regular time for your Monday morning commute yeah. or whatever. So yeah. yeah, we could, we could in theory do that, but we'll, uh, I, th I thought for a second you were going to like, Hey, we should just do like a live, like uh, viewing party or something of the, uh, the podcast during the F1 race. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I mean, f you know, thankfully it actually works out in my time zone for once where, um, you know, that that's an 11 PM start time here, yeah. in, here in mountain time. So, uh, you'll, you'll, uh, over yeah. on the East coast after a long Martinsville race, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're the 1am start time for you. I believe it's 1am start time. Oh yeah. Um, I probably will just watch it at the Martinsville media center and just 1am. I mean, I mean, you know me, I mean, I'm a slow writer. I mean, I'm the slowest writer around and I always take forever. So you got to drive to go sleep somewhere at some point that race uh, can end up 3am. Maybe I'll throw it on my, you know what? Maybe I'll throw it on my phone and I'll watch it as I drive. That yeah. sounds really safe. That sounds like a great Well, idea. you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to be listening to it more than watching it, but you know what I mean? Driving through the dark road, the dark winding roads. I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that drive though at night. I'm going to spend the night up in Martinsville somewhere because it's just, oh, I hate that drive. That is a awful drive at night. At late. Yes, it is. Yes, night, it there's is. no chance. So I'm just saying, I mean, time I get down out of the media center, it's going to be, that race is going to be, God knows how long that's going to be. Well, only 400 miles or 400 laps though. I, laps, yeah. So. Well, that, that's fine. As long as you don't get instead of, instead of like three hours, 45 minutes, it's going to be closer to three hours. Like, uh, this Phoenix, uh, this, uh, Richmond race was. So I'm sad. I know it's a sacrilegious to say this. And I had this conversation last year on the podcast with Zach, Zach Elbert from NASCAR.com. Man, you give me a 300 lap NASCAR race, cup series race at Martinsville. I think that's the perfect distance. Yeah. Well, We'll see how next week goes. We'll see how next week goes. It's going to be interesting to see if it's uh, the same type of players who we saw um, at Richmond or whether it, the new car shakes everything up yet again. I, I don't know. Uh, Denny Hamlin was asked about that after the race, said impossible to predict, which makes me see, feel better I when I get these predictions so incorrect. I don't know. I mean, I'm like trying not to be not saying I'm smarter than Denny Hamlin, but you go back to the clash, right? That's, we've had, what, two short track races this year, let's say. We've had the clash and we've had today, right? Like the players in that race were Kyle Bush and Joey Logano, which are who you kind of expect players today. were kind of the usual suspects. I mean, it was Blaney was up there, though. He doesn't run well at Richmond. He's run better there before and he's coming in really well. Um, Martin tricks jr. Is always good here. He was great today. Danny Hamlin is very good here. Harvick. I mean, it's like, it wasn't really a surprise. We haven't really seen any like, Oh my goodness, this guy may win at a short track, you know, like it's kind of been the same guy. So I think it's going to be the same guys in the mix next week, the same players. All right. Well, we'll I find say that out. now and I'm going to be an idiot next week. Watch this. Like we'll there's going to be soon enough. I'm clipping this clip right now and I can <laughs> air it if you're wrong and whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I never point out when you're wrong, Jordan, I wouldn't do that to you. No, no, never, never. Um, uh, anyway. can I ask you a question? Uh, if it's about Bristol dirt, then no, 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 no. I oh, am okay. not going to poke that bear. I'm going to let it go. I, We'll say okay. that I'm kind of counting down until like two weeks, but anyway, um, it's about F1. I didn't get to hear your thoughts. What do you think about Vegas? Yeah, well, um, that's certainly going to be, uh, a mega 
mega event. Um, I guess I have a couple concerns about it. Um, first of all, I mean, that's, it's huge for the United States, uh, you know, to have three F1 races, um, two extremely glamorous cities, probably the two most glamorous cities in the country, Miami and Vegas. And then, uh, Austin is obviously a great city as well. And it's a great track and they've had very enthusiastic support there. Um, you know, that's going to be, uh, a night race, um, in a very chilly time of year there. We used to go to the banquet every year in Vegas around that time of year, um, mid November, late November. And, uh, there was times when there was snowflakes and you, mm-hmm. you'd be very bundled up and it was very chilly at night. You forget you're in the mountains there. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, if we're talking that, that race could be in the, in the temperatures in the thirties sure. or forties or something. I mean, it's not going to be like Vegas desert, certainly that time of year. I mean, best case at night there is probably in the fifties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that time of year. So yeah, that's going to be a little bit weird. And then, um, you know, it's, it's coming to the United States to say, okay, well, you know, we're growing the United States market and stuff like that. And yet it's going to be a 10 PM Pacific start time. Um, you're going to start that race 1 AM, uh, on the East coast. And unless you're a super diehard F1 fan, you're not going to be it's not like these races lately, like the ones that started in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, were right in the wheelhouse of the Sunday afternoon United yeah. States viewer. I mean, perfect time to watch. And the ratings uh, were both massive uh, for ESPN standards or for F1 standards in general for, for this country. And uh, so, uh, you know, obviously people stay up and watch if they want to, but, you know, they're trying to get it to be a friendly time for the, the world in general. So yeah. that's going to be like a, what is it? 7 a.m. or something in, in the UK and Europe. Yeah, there, um, there's no good. There really is no, no good time to start this race. It's really tough because they want to have it at night because it's Vegas. They want the lights and the neon and all that. Right. So you have to start it when the sun's down, but you can't start it too early because then your, your primary audience is in the, is in Europe and they're all sleeping. So it, it's tough. It's, I don't know what you do. I think the only caveat, and I don't disagree with anything you said, um, is, you know, instead of getting up early on Sunday morning, if you're a, 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 an F1 fan in the United States, you know, sometimes the races start at 8 a.m. or a little bit earlier. He's like, ah, oh, you know, the hell with it. It's a Saturday night. We're just going to stay up and make a go out of it. You know, That's and, true. And yeah. you could sleep it on Sunday. That's the only saving grace. It's just there is no good. I, I, I crunch the numbers like there's no good way to do this to appease everybody. Somebody's going to get screwed in this. Yeah, right. Because if you could start it probably at 6 p.m. Pacific and get the 9 p.m. primetime East Coast audience, but then that's like literally in the middle of the night in Europe. Yeah. So that's not, you know, that's, you're right. I mean, it's it's hard to find. It's Look at this Australia start time next week. I mean, it's, you know, it's a reasonable start time local, but for the United States audience, it's the same same type issue, but. Anyway. It's, it's yeah it's, it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be an event though it is just gonna be insane and i've heard all sorts of different numbers for prices of tickets and everything and it's like geez man like wow <laughs> i'm curious though like i mean the curious thing is is with this in miami it's like it there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of excitement and year one is going to be for both of these is going to be huge and year two should probably be good as well but like what is the staying power in year three four and so forth you know that's the question yeah, it's and, it's Co- and Coda went. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's a fair point. I just um, Coda went through this too. 
You know, like they they were excited. You know, in the first couple of years with Coda, it was like all great. And they had a they were some pretty there was a lull there. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, they were it seemed like they were kind of depending on their concerts to pull people in for yeah. a while, you know. Uh when I went there in twenty seventeen or whatever, I don't think it was the massive crowd that they got there last year after the drive to survive phenomenon. But um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I I tend to think that um Vegas and Miami being real tourist destination, especially Vegas and the way that that race is going to look. I mean, you could, gosh, you could go, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a hotel room facing the track, um, just sit there on your balcony or look out the window or something and just watch the cars come down the strip and have it on TV and in the comfort of your hotel suite. Uh, yeah, man, that it's just going to be epic in so many ways. That town is going to be absolutely jam packed because and not only are you going to have the grandstands, but all the people that just come to the hotels um, or just stand along the route somewhere, I guess. I mean, it's just going to be. I'm already looking for condos for us, by the way. Condos? Well, yeah. I mean, do you want to get a condo or what do you want to do? Like stay off the strip? We'll get a come run the condo somewhere or something? I want a balcony room in the Cosmo overlooking cool. the. <laughs> I'm going to let you sell that to our bosses on the expense report. Okay. I'm trying to be smart here about things. I would just like to be there. You want the balcony and the looking overlooking the Cosmo. You know what? You you work on that and sell on that one. Okay. Well, how about a rooftop, man? Like, I mean, if you're a hotel, like, I mean, I don't even know if you can, but like, can you like have people go up in your roofs and watch? I don't know. Start cool. building one right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, it I reminds me. Like, I'm just yeah. thinking about this. I'm spitballing here, but like, it reminds me of, like Wrigley Field. Like, they've got the rooftop viewing and stuff. Like, why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, anyway. Good to, to uh, talk to all you guys out there. Um, thanks for listening to us. As always, we we appreciate the listenership. Um, I got a, I got a tweet, um, a DM this week from one of our listeners in Israel, um, oh. who was commenting about our our missile conversation um, uh, from Saudi Arabia and, and saying that you know that is kind of uh, life over there. People just keep going on. You know, we were talking about the uh, how odd it was that they continued on after the missile strike in Saudi oh, Arabia. Yeah, yeah. We were saying, Sorry. hey, I'm in Israel. And, uh, you know, that is there, something we, is, you know, we kind of just keep going on with life in the middle East here when that, when these kind of things happen. Um, but yeah, it was kind of cool to get a tweet from somebody, um, that way. So, uh, thanks all across. I, I, I you can see our stats by the way, like, you know, it breaks down the listenership by country. I don't know how they do that. Like as far as the downloads, we have all these different countries, tuning. I'm like, who are you people? Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. Send Jordan and I a tweet. Um, if you listen to us in uh, somewhere overseas, love to know, uh, like how, why, why are you listening to us? I still don't know that with our American audience too. I say, I say that to our American audience all the time. Like, why do you listen to us? Like, what, yeah, like what, what do you get out of this? I know. All right, everybody. Again, thanks for listening to the six best NASCAR podcast. And we will talk to you next time on the Teardown.